we're going to uh, jump into this uh, last message, um, and I want us to, uh, to look at the text uh, first. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, I encourage you to open it up or, or flip it on, or if you don't, uh, simply you can just look above. We're going to look at uh, Luke 15, uh, verses 1 through 10. Jesus is going to teach a couple of parables in response to religious teachers uh, witnessing who Jesus spends time with. So they see that Jesus is spending time with a particular type of people, and in response to that, Jesus gives a teaching explaining why he spends time with this particular uh, type of people, a type of people that were very much seen on the margins, seen as outcasts, seen as excluded. And so we're going to use that as a way to kind of put a cap on our series on kingdom prayer uh, by looking at Jesus and what he teaches and shows us here. So let's look at Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his, lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having, lost, uh, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and, dilig and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to turn to the person next, next to you and say, Hello, sheep. I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you and say, Hello, coin. We've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we've looked at a couple of different aspects regarding the kingdom of God. We have looked at, uh, we've looked at God's uh, heart for racial reconciliation as an outflow of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. We have looked at uh, God's uh, heart for human life, the unborn, the poor, the elderly, the incarcerated, the refugee, the immigrant, as an expression of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, where every human being is made in the image of God, and that image of God upon them is recognized, and so they're treated with respect and dignity. And we've looked at this reality of the kingdom of God, that Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer that the kingdom of God, that the reign and rule of God, which is perfect in heaven, would break in to imperfect earth, And Jesus would be seen in new and powerful ways. We've talked about how the kingdom of God is represented anywhere where a person's heart is bowed in faith to King Jesus and they live out his gospel and his commands. That, you are, that when you see that, you are seeing a flicker, an image, a breaking in of the kingdom of God right here on heaven and earth. We've talked about how uh, any disciple of Jesus is a picture of the kingdom of God, that we carry the kingdom of God wherever we go. 
But we're going to look and cap off this series with, with these parables for us to understand that at the very, very heart of praying for the kingdom to come, we are tapping into the heart of God and his deep desire not just to see human life valued, not just to see racial reconciliation, not just to, to, to see the ways of Jesus embodied, but the very heart of God for seeing the kingdom come to earth is to see lost people come back home to the king. That you cannot talk about the kingdom of God without talking about people who have run away from the king coming back home to the king. That central to praying for the kingdom to come means praying for lost sheep and lost coins like us to be found. So we're going to look at a couple of things here. We're going to see from this text that the heart of God is to bring the lost into his kingdom, into relationship with him, into a new way of living that flows out of faith in his son. That's his very, very uh, central to his heart. But first I want us to, to look at this reality is, is, is look at really uh, who the kingdom is for. Look at verses 1 and 2. The tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man welcomes and eats with them. One, we're seeing who the kingdom of God is for. This is interesting. This is very, very interesting for us to see. Tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. Now let's, let's think about this for a second. Tax collectors, these are uh, traitorous people in the first century. These are people who are working for the Roman government, who are imposing higher, uh, higher percentages of, of taxes. Kind of think of people at the, uh, kind, of, kind of think of toll collectors almost as a way to think of it. That at the uh, heart, of a, uh, heart of a commercial entry point into uh, cities, they would collect the tolls that would be paid back to Rome, and they would charge more. And so they were known not only as working for the people that were oppressing uh, uh, the Jews, but not only were they doing that, they were charging extra and getting rich exploiting those who were vulnerable. They were hated. They were despised. So much so that their testimony in court meant nothing. It was not valid. It was not acknowledged. It, it, it did nothing. These are hated and despised people. Sinners, these are the people who, who were seen as such outcasts, so unclean, not keeping up with the external religious duties necessary to enter into worship. They were seen as far off from, from God and in many ways truly were by their actions and by their choices. And yet these are the very people that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to spend time with. These are the very people, notice the text, that draw near to him. Notice that in verse 1. They, they draw near to him. Jesus comes preaching, repent of your sins. The kingdom of God is at hand. And guess who wants to be close to him? The sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus was so holy and so truthful and bold in his preaching and yet he attracted sinners and tax collectors. He was deeply righteous, deeply truthful, did not compromise on anything, and yet he was a magnet to sinners and tax collectors. And in this, he shows us who the kingdom of God is for. He shows us that the kingdom of God is for the people on the outside. The kingdom of God is for sinners and tax collectors. The kingdom of God is for the people that we think it actually is not for. Jesus earlier in Luke 4 says this. He opens the scroll from Isaiah. This is kind of his debut. This is kind of the first track on his album of greatest hits. And he lets everybody know that I've come to preach good news to the who? Anybody know? To the who? To the poor. To the oppressed. 
to the blind, to the captive. Jesus is telling us something about himself. He says the kingdom is for these people. Now we know the kingdom of God is, is for everyone, but Jesus is saying in a very particular way, the people who really get the red carpet rolled out for them to come into the kingdom are these type of people because these type of people have, a, have, have no pretense of pride. They know they have nothing to offer. Jesus doesn't have to convince the tax collectors and, and sinners of their sin that much. They're already on the one-yard line. He's just got to give them a little push for them to understand how deeply they really need God. But they're already almost there. So the, the kingdom of God, uh, we are learning from Jesus in this parable, is for those people who have these great needs. Materially, but particularly spiritually. This is who the kingdom of God is for. Now I want you to think about this parable uh, the fact that God has preserved it and recorded it for us in his word. I want you to think about this parable in this way. This parable is like God placing our hand on his heart that we would be able to feel his heartbeat for sinners and lost people in this world. That's what this parable is like. God wants us to understand how deeply he loves the very people that church people might look at and say, there's no hope for them. This is us getting our hand on God's heart to feel how deeply he cares for the lost sheep and the lost coin. This is the heart of God. And we know this because Jesus is described in Hebrews 1.3 as the exact imprint of God, the radiance of his glory, the exact nature of God. John 1 describes Jesus as making the Father known to us. And so what we see Jesus doing here is not at odds with God the Father, but it is an exact reflection and extension of the heart of God the Father. That Jesus is putting on display for us the very heart of God for lost sheep and for lost coin. So in Jesus, we see most clearly the heart of God. I want us to think about what this might look like in our time to see Jesus with tax collectors and sinners. It means this, that Jesus in our time now is still moving, working, and seeking for his lost coins and his lost sheep. Jesus, uh, to find Jesus eating and welcoming sinners would be to, to be associating with them at such a deep level. He is risking identification with them. He is putting his reputation on the line to be close to them. That's how much he, he loves them. That's how much he cares for them. That's how much he wants to seek after them. To put this into context for what this might look like now would be this, that Jesus Christ always is uh, seeking uh, among uh, the Section 8 housing his lost coins. That if we were to look, where would Jesus be today? Jesus would be in the Section 8 housing from the outside looking like he's loitering, but really being among the people looking for his lost sheep and his lost coins. That Jesus Christ is among the lost sheep and the lost coins at the homeless teen shelter, loving and seeking among the vulnerable. That Jesus Christ is seeking for his lost sheep and his lost coins in Flint, Michigan, where people don't have clean water. That Jesus Christ is seeking his lost sheep and his lost coins 
in the elderly retirement home that most of us couldn't be paid enough money to go, to go and enter into and volunteer, right? That's where Jesus is, seeking his lost sheep and his lost coin. That Jesus is at the trailer park, posted up in rural America, seeking his lost sheep and his lost coin. The very heart of God is seeking the lost. Now, this is good news for us because this means that Jesus Christ therefore wants people in his kingdom much more than we do, which also means that Jesus Christ wants each of us in his kingdom much more than we do. Jesus wants us in his kingdom so deeply that he seeks after us. He compares himself to a shepherd running after a sheep to bring us back home. This is good news for us if we embrace one word, lost. We have to embrace that we are lost in two senses. We have to embrace that we are lost in the sense that we are disconnected spiritually. Our sin leaves us disconnected from a relationship with God. We have fractured, broken it, spoiled it by virtue of our rejection of God in our embrace of self. And so we are disconnected. We are separated from him. But Jesus then goes to seek to bring us home. We are lost. We are also lost in the sense of our purpose. We don't know what our life is for on our own. Apart from God, we don't know. Is our life just to be a good person? Is our life just to get vacations and enough pay to buy a condo? Right? Is that, is that really what we're here for? So we are, we are lost in these senses. And I think it's helpful that Jesus gives us the image of a sheep. Sheep are not what? They are not smart. They are not smart. The sheep sees the cliff and says, okay, and just walks off of it. Sheep sees a wolf, hmm, looks nice, walks into their mouth, right? Sheep are not smart. There's something for us here to understand ourselves in this way. But this is good news. If we would embrace this, we would see that Jesus actually seeks after us. I want us to uh, flip to this next slide, Corey, if you can. Um, I wanted to show um, just a picture. You see a picture of a shepherd finding a sheep. Now, now just look at the background. Just think of the work. Think of the work it took to track that thing down. I mean, let, let's be honest. If we are a shepherd and we have 99 sheep, we got 100 sheep, and 99 of them we have, one of them runs away, you know what we're going to do? That's okay. 99 out of 100, that's still like, an, that's still like 99%. It is 99%. <laughs> All my degrees are in English. <laughs> if we got 99 of our 100 sheep, do you know what all of us are doing? We're going home. We're going home. And we don't feel bad about it. Jesus Christ has 99 of his sheep and one is lost. He says, the rest of you guys wait here put something on the iPad for us to sit still, and he goes and he gets his lost sheep. He goes and he gets his lost sheep. Do you understand the heart of God for you? He goes through difficult terrain. He enters human history. He dies sacrificially upon the cross to get his lost sheep. That is the heart of God because he desires people to be in his kingdom, although what we deserve is to be kicked out. But he seeks after us. 
So the heart of God is that lost people, you and I, would be brought in to his kingdom, brought into relationship with him. The kingdom is for the lowly, the lost, the scandalous sinners, the goody two-shoes, because this is the heart of God. Grace for sinners of all persuasion and types. That's who the kingdom of God is for, because that's what the heart of God is. So that's who the kingdom is for. But secondly, we also need to understand a little bit of the price of the kingdom. The price, the price of the kingdom. There is a cost to get us into the kingdom. We are by nature out of the kingdom. Our sin has given us the boot from the kingdom. A great picture of this is seeing uh, early in the story of Scripture uh, uh, the first uh, human beings. They are kicked out of the garden. They are kicked out of the presence of God, which is uh, uh, the reality of what has happened to us by nature of our choices and by nature of just the default human nature that we have. We are kicked out of the presence of God, and we are kicked into his courtroom, and we've got a clock ticking until the day where we are held accountable. That is our default. And so there is a price to move us from waiting for our court date of accountability to being welcomed like a lost sheep, beloved, forgiven, cleansed, made new, changed, redeemed, empowered, restored. There is a price to move us from this courtroom waiting into this kingdom welcoming. There is a price of admission. There is a cost, there is a debt, there is something that needs to be cleared, something that needs to be paid, something that needs to be done, restitution that needs to be given. There is a price that must be paid to welcome us into the kingdom of God. And this is where we see the heart of God. God is fully justified to give us accountability, but God, because his heart overflows with mercy and love, does not give us accountability, but places the accountability upon his son, Jesus Christ, who is called the friend of sinners. What a great name. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. Sinners need friends. And sinners need friends that don't lead them into more sin, but they need friends that somehow have a way to get them out. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. I want you to, to, uh, to think far and wide for any other central figure of a faith tradition who is called the friend of sinners. Who else says, I've come to preach good news to the poor? Who else says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? Jesus Christ is in a class of his own. He is the friend of sinners. That means much to you if you understand that that includes me. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. He gives his life on the cross in exchange for ours in order that mercy might flow down to us, in order that forgiveness might be seized by us, in order that restoration might be enjoyed by us, that we might move from the courtroom into the kingdom because Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. That is the good news of the gospel, that through that forgiveness, we would then begin to live out the way of Jesus, and we would then begin to embody the kingdom of God on earth through the way that we live, adhering to his word, his commands, and his teachings. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, because the heart of God is to bring lost people into his kingdom, including you and I. That is good news for us. I recently spoke, uh, spoke with a friend who, uh, whose in-laws had covered every expense for his family of six to go somewhere, to go to Disney World, the closest place to the kingdom of God on earth, just kidding, um, <laughs> to, go to, Disney, to go to Disney World, family of six, everything paid for, for seven days, airfare, transportation, meals, 
admission, hotel, everything. And I was talking to my friend, and, and he said, man, I think it's, it's got to be at least $20,000 they spent to cover all of this to get us in to the kingdom of heaven on earth, a.k.a. Disney World. Right? And I just thought, $20,000. I mean, even if it was only $15,000, $15,000, that is a lot of money. What a price. They love, they love their grandkids, and they got money. What a price. <laughs> a good combination. Right? But, 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 but think even of just, the, think of the price that Christ has paid for us, how much he loves his lost sheep and his lost coins. He's laid down his very own life. He's laid down his own life. He sacrificed his own body. He gave up his soul. He carried our guilt. He endured our punishment to set us free. What a, what a price. You cannot put a dollar amount on that price. He is the friend of sinners. Will we just stop and enjoy the fact that Jesus has loved us in this way? I mean, how many things are you caught up with in your life that those problems would be significantly minimized if you would just slow down and enjoy the fact that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners who has given his everything for you? I mean, how many of your problems, how many of your worries would just shrink right into their real proportion if you realized all that Christ has done for you? That at the end of the day, your greatest treasure can never be taken from you because you are a part of the kingdom of God now and forever. He is the friend of sinners. That's the price of getting us into the kingdom of God because the heart of God is bringing the lost into his kingdom. What's also good news about being brought into the kingdom of God is that Jesus doesn't just bring us into the kingdom and leave us in the lobby and say, see you later. He brings us into the kingdom and then he begins to teach us. We are his disciples. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple copies the way of their master. This is why we do things like community Bible reading, because Jesus was deeply immersed in scripture and treasured it and loved it. Memorized it, obeyed it, soaked in it, bathed in it, clothed in it, loved it, adored it. And so we follow him, and so we seek to do the same thing. But Jesus actually says this. He says that if you are my student, my student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So there's a part of being in the kingdom of God, being a disciple of Jesus, there is a part of that that means that we imitate our master. We imitate our Lord. We copy the way of our teacher, the way of our Savior. And so think about this. If Jesus then is the revelation of the heart of God, and then we are to be like Jesus, then in some sense, being a disciple of Jesus means that you have received a heart transplant in which the heart of God, reflected in Jesus' life, becomes your very heart. That Jesus' heart for seeking the lost coin and seeking the lost sheep becomes your very desire if you have then been found by Jesus. There is this saying, forgiven people, forgive people, found people, find people. That if we have been found by Jesus, we now have a new desire in which we copy the way of our master, the way of our disciple, to then be a part of seeing other lost sheep and other lost coins be, become found and brought home to their Savior, to the friend of sinners. And so the heart of God 
through Jesus finding us, becomes our very own heart as well. The heart of God becomes placed inside of us. And we find ourselves longing to see lost sheep and lost coins find their way home to Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. This is what happens when you become found. Think about it. You can identify. You know what it was like to be out there. You know how sweet it was to be found. You know how sweet it is to know the friend of sinners. And now we begin to desire the very same thing for lost sheep and lost coins all around us. Let me tell you this. We are almost never more like Jesus than when we long for lost sheep and lost coins to be found. If you want to be like Jesus, you must long for lost sheep and lost coins to be found. I mean, think about this. Why did Jesus leave heaven to come to earth? There are many reasons, but he says it like this. I came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19, 10. And so if we say we follow Jesus, we say we love Jesus, we say he is our savior, he is our apprentice, he is our teacher, but we have no pulse for the very desire that brought him here, we must wonder to what extent is his heart our heart? And where his heart is our heart, there is great reason for encouragement and rejoicing. Because remember ourselves, our default. Our default is if we have 99 sheep and we lose one, is to go home early. But when we begin to wonder and say, how is that one sheep doing? How is that one coin doing? We begin to pray for them. We begin to yearn for them to know the friend of sinners. That is the heart of God growing inside of us. And so we celebrate with joy and encouragement because God is doing something in us that cannot be done on our own. So to what degree is the heart of God your heart? Think about Jesus. He looks over Jerusalem in the gospel narrative. And what does he do? He weeps. He weeps over a city so desirous for them to turn to him and to receive the kingdom of God. He weeps. He loves the lost sheep. He loves the lost coins. And so if we want the kingdom of God to come, part of that, that looks like the heart of God becoming our heart, the heart of God centering and becoming our very own heart in a love for the lost sheep and the lost coins to grow inside of us. What can this look like? How do we cultivate this, this heart of Jesus for the lost sheep and for the lost coin? How, 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 does, this, how does this begin to happen? I think one way this happens is we believe what Jesus says about lostness. We have to believe what Jesus says about lostness. We have to believe what Jesus says about sin. I think some of the reasons we don't long to see lost coins found, long to see lost sheep found and brought home to Jesus, some of the reason we don't long for that is because we really, at the end of the day, don't really think that they're lost. We really, at the end of the day, don't think that, that, that Jesus is going to have a day of accountability. We, we really, at the end of the day, don't think it really matters that much. Or else, I think we would weep a little bit more. I think we would, we would pray a little bit more. We, we would be eager to see Jesus change lives a little bit more. So I think we have to begin to take serious all that Jesus taught and said about our lostness. I want you to uh, think, think about it like this. 
Jesus deeply knew the reality of people's lostness, people's sin, and knew the, the reality of God's accountability for our actions. And all of those things came together to embody a life in which he, he sought the lost. Jesus deeply sought the lost because he knew all of those things. He understood them clearly. Let me, let me give you an, an example of this. Jesus understood this so clearly that he has an interaction in Luke 13 where people come to him and ask him a question. And he answers the question. Uh, they ask him a question about, uh, about a tragedy that happens uh, in Galilee. A, a tragedy happens, and, and they ask Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, did this tragedy happen because these people were sinful? And Jesus said, no, it didn't happen because they were sinful. It, it, it just, this is a sinful world. It, it happened. And, and they're like, okay. And then Jesus says, hey, unless you repent, you're going to perish too. Peace. And then he like leaves. And, and Jesus just shoots completely straight with these people. This is one of those stories where, like, Jesus is so loving, we don't remember this story. It's like, unless you repent too, you're going to perish. Bye. What, what is that? And then it's the same man that weeps over Jerusalem. What is that? That is someone who understands all of the truth that God has shown us in Scripture. He understands very clearly sin is real, grace is real, day of accountability is real, and I'm going to come and seek and save you. Because he understands all of those things, his heart is moved deeply to pray, to love, to serve, to give of himself. I think because we have a loose grasp on those things, the heart of God is not in us as significantly as it can be. And so let's embrace what Jesus embraced, what scripture teaches, that we might have our heart expanded to love deeply and to seek and to save the lost. I think the other uh, way that we cultivate a heart of God, uh, God's heart for the lost sheep and the lost coin, we believe what Jesus says about sin. I think the second thing that we can do is this, is we think about the global reality of lost sheep and lost coins. May we not make the mistake of thinking about the kingdom of God only in the context of our city, only in the context of our country, only in the context of our church, only in the context of the people we know. But may we see the kingdom of God the way the kingdom of God really is. It's a global thing. It's across the nations. It's across the world. Let me tell you this. The fastest growing church is in what country? Anyone have an idea? Yeah. And up there is Nepal. Right? It, the, fa the fastest growing church is not here. The fastest growing church is where people are, are being killed and put in prison for their faith. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than what God is doing here. And that's an encouraging thing. That's not to disparage what God is doing on this side of the world. It's to recognize this is a global thing. And when we realize it's a global thing, we realize, wow, there's a lot of people out there, which means, wow, there's a lot of lost sheep out there, which means, wow, there's a lot of lost coins out there, which means, wow, Jesus is going to do a lot of awesome stuff. So let's pray about it. Let's think about it. Let's reflect on it. And then our heart will be stirred for what Jesus is doing right in our own neighborhood. When we see the global reality of what God is doing. May we not forget that Christianity did not start here. And it is not spreading most quickly here. It is a global phenomenon. And when we see that, our heart begins to match God's heart as we see God's deep and big, strong heart for the lost sheep and the lost coin. So I think we can cultivate a heart for the lost sheep and the lost coin by thinking globally, by praying globally. I think we can cultivate a heart uh, of God for the lost by also thinking and praying locally. 
I wanted you guys to say, hey, sheep, hey, coin to one another, just to, to realize the dignity we have and, and to realize that, that our default is that we, we are, we're lost. But Jesus seeks to find us. Maybe some of you today are like, man, I'm still figuring out what I think about Jesus. But today is the day you can be found. Embrace him. Some of you have friends in your life that you have prayed, God, do something in my friend's life. Do something in my mom's life. Do something in my dad's life. Do something in my cousin's life. Do something in my roommate's life from college who I love deeply, but they seem so hesitant and resistant to you. Keep praying. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners who loves lost sheep and lost coins more than each of us do combined. Keep praying. Sometimes when we pray, for God to find the lost sheep and the lost coin, we pray so timidly because we are dealing with years of discouragement in our prayers. We pray so timidly, God, if possible, when you're available, when your schedule clears up, please, God, do this thing. If it's your will, if it's like your real, real deep will, maybe do it in the next 20 years, right? Like sometimes we just pray like that. And it's because we've been so discouraged through our prayers. And I understand that. It happens to me. I find my prayer, like, I, it's like, why are my prayers like this? They're just like this dud, right? Why? We go through those seasons. It's okay. But I, wanna, I want us to refresh. Let's all refresh. Amen? Let's refresh in our prayers. Refresh in your prayers for yourself. Maybe you've been praying for something in your own life. Refresh in that. Refresh with new faith that God loves you, that God is with you, that God is present, that God cares. Let's refresh in our prayers and let's pray, let's pray with a, a, sense of, uh, a sense of boldness. Remembering that God likes sinners way more than you do. God likes you more than you do. Hold on to that. Grab hold of that. Pray, pray deeply from his attributes of mercy and grace and faithfulness. Pray from those attributes. Let those be the launching point for your prayers. Not the lack of answers, but from his character. Launch out from that. Pray boldly. Seen this with my son who prays deep, bold prayers. We talk about the kingdom of God is seen in, in, the, in, in kids and in some ways. And this childlike boldness, Julian and I, we pray, play Mario Kart almost every Saturday. And when we pray, uh, or when we play, he prays. <laughs> when we get to Bowser, he prays. He hands the controller to me and he prays. And my goodness, I have not seen such earnest prayer outside of the prayers of my mom. Where he says, God, help us. God, please. God, like, so we could beat Bowser. Like, he really realizes, like, unless something happens, we're not beating this level. And he just cries out. He cries out. Believing God is one. He believes God, some, God is going to do something. And then, two, he, he understands that, like, unless God does something, we're still not going to get past level three. Right? So, so there is this, this sense of need, and God will do it. Why, what if we prayed that way? I understand we can't pray that way all the time, but what if we pray that way more? Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. He is out seeking and saving lost sheep and lost coins. That's his business. That's what he does. And so let's pray with some boldness, some hope, some encouragement that Jesus is able to do what we pray. I want you to be encouraged in this as well. I received a message from, uh, from somebody to encourage you in your prayers. I received a message from someone uh, that I uh, shared the gospel with probably seven years ago. 
uh, and did some uh, events on campus. And this person was the most stubborn, obstinate, and vocally antagonistic person I have ever encountered. We do these events, and he's just got the hardest questions, just rolling them out. I'm just like, man, I was so discouraged. I have it recorded in my journal how discouraged I was about this particular person. Fast forward seven years later, check in Facebook, get a little messenger, right? A little message pop up, right? You're like, okay, someone wants to play Candy Crush again, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to delete, delete them. And it's him. And it's him. And he says, hey, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for sharing the gospel with me all that time when we were in college. My mind was so caught up in new age spirituality, secularism, all this stuff. Like I was just, my mind was just so caught up. But I want you to know what's happened to me over the last year. Over this last year, I realized who Jesus is and my life has been changed and I'm following him. And it's been great. And I just want to thank you for what you've done in my life. I mean, if you look at my interactions with that person and my journal entries, this is just, I try, God, I don't know what's happening. But here's the good news. Jesus is a friend of sinners who is seeking and saving the lost even when we are inactive. Even after we've done, we're done praying our prayers, even if we're, we're done serving people, after we're done loving people, he is active doing it, and that is exactly what he did in this person's life. I'm under, I wonder, how many of those stories might you have for somebody seven years from now? That there is somebody that you've been praying for, something you've been praying for in your life, and, and you might realize seven years from now, unexpectedly, off your radar, I haven't thought about this person in years, God has done something powerful in their life. Why? Because the heart of God is to bring people into his kingdom. May we be encouraged. It, call, it all falls down and comes down uh, to this reality. That as we think about praying for lost sheep and praying for lost coins, we come back to this foundational reality. That we are first before we are the ones seeking, we are the ones that are found. That Jesus Christ is seeking and finding us. And we get to rejoi rejoice and enjoy him. That the heart of God is the mercy that he is offering or placing upon you through the work of Jesus Christ. And then the good news that flows out of that is that Jesus Christ is still active seeking and saving people. That's what he's doing across the globe, all over the place, in Somerville, in Nigeria, in Washington, in Idaho. This is what Jesus is doing. And when we pray and when we step into it, we're just brought into the story. We become the little assistant helping the big shepherd go track down the lost sheep and the lost coin. What an invitation for us. But before we receive the invitation to partner in the work, the invitation for us is to receive the work, is to receive being found to enjoy being found, to enjoy being his, to enjoy the grace and the forgiveness that he extends and offers through his life, his death, and resurrection. The heart of God is bringing people into the kingdom. It is an offer to us, and then it is an offer to us to participate in the kingdom work through praying, through loving, through serving. But when we do it, let's do it with boldness and excitement because Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners seeking and saving lost sheep and lost coins. Jesus, thank you that you are a friend of sinners. You are the friend of sinners that, that loves us so much that you uh, come for us. Uh, you seek after us. You, you push through our stubbornness. You, you push through our fears and our doubts. Uh, you, you answer our questions. You, you, um, you show us yourself. You, 
You make real to us the truth of the gospel by your spirit. You love sinners. And we are so grateful. We ask that you would uh, give us joy over the fact that you seek us. Give us joy over the fact that you love us. Give us joy over the fact that we belong to you. And then, Lord, would you help us to, to follow you in, in the work that, that you have called us to, to be a part of praying that other people would be found as well. Lord, you know, uh, you know exactly where we are discouraged in our prayers. You know exactly where uh, unanswered prayer has piled up maybe over the course of years and has left us with, uh, with just a bad taste in our mouth and has, has made it so that uh, prayer is just a really hard thing to do. God, I pray you would encourage us. God, uh, you know exactly where, uh, where we might be, where we hear a text like this and a message like this and say, well, it hasn't happened. I've been praying and it hasn't happened. God, uh, soften our hearts. Help us to trust in your goodness and your faithfulness. Help us to see that you are a friend of sinners and you are a friend to us. And you have compassion and mercy that you want to offer to us in your son. So encourage us, help us to see Christ in a deep and a fresh way. We pray it in his name. Amen.